you brought your Bible with you, you can open up to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. If you are not familiar with opening up to that book, uh, which maybe not a lot of people are, it's, uh, if you open up to the middle of your Bible, you'll find Psalms probably. After Psalms is Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes is right after that. And like I just mentioned, um, not a book that a lot of people turn to uh, very often. And so you might be wondering, even as I mentioned the last few weeks, that we were going to be taking a break from the book of Romans and diving into the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. You might have thought, well, why? (laughs) Why are we doing that? Um, And uh, let me just take a little bit of time to explain that. Today is mainly going to be an introduction uh, to the series. That's going to be a longer introduction to the series. Why are we doing this? And then we're going to, there's an outline in your bulletin, we will get to uh, looking through the first few verses. We're going to spend a lot of time on the first three verses and a shorter amount of time on verses 4 through 11. But we'll be in Ecclesiastes 1 for um, now through the end of July is the plan that we'll be in the book of Ecclesiastes. Like I said, you might be wondering why. And here's a couple of answers. Now, answer number one is this. We're going to do a series in the book of Ecclesiastes because life in this world is confusing often, right? Life in this world is often confusing. The second reason that we're going to do a a series in the book of Ecclesiastes is because we have to be honest that we don't have all the answers to questions that people are asking. We have real longings, and sometimes in this life, we're very happy and content because things just seem to be going great, and sometimes if we're honest, We desperately want things to be different than they are right now. There's some things that we know for sure, right? We know that God is real, that God is powerful, that God is good. But there's a lot of questions, if we're honest, that we just don't have quick, easy answers to. One of the temptations that we have as Christians, when people have deep questions about life, is one of the temptations we have as Christians is we like to give sometimes easy answers trite answers. That's what happened in the book of Job, another Old Testament wisdom book. In the book of Job, Job had this very challenging situation in his life, and his friends responded with these easy, trite answers that were just not satisfying whatsoever. And we can often tend to do that, and Ecclesiastes is not like that. Ecclesiastes is not like Job's friends. There are no trite, easy answers in the book of Ecclesiastes. Not much that, that, uh, that is put on uh, decorations and sold in Christian bookstores. Not a lot of stuff from the book of Ecclesiastes there. What the author is going to do of this book, he's going to dive right into the challenging situations of life under the sun. And as we go through it, we're going to be challenged to take a real honest look at life, in all of its joys and pains and pleasures and disappointments and all of that stuff. And we're going to see, by looking at life, what we can learn about the God who made all things, the God who is at work in this world and in our lives. When someone's hurt or dealing with doubt or questions or anger or depression or whatever it is, we as Christians like to point them to eternal truths. God's Word is filled with eternal truths, some certainly in the book of Ecclesiastes. 
But the approach of the book of Ecclesiastes is different than much of the rest of the Bible because the book of Ecclesiastes is seeking to look at life almost without a view of God. I mean, we're, we're going we're to run into, we're going to encounter God in many ways in the book of Ecclesiastes. But the approach is somebody coming at life just saying, if this is all there is, life under the sun, if, this is, if what we see is all that there is, what's the point? going to be some good questions that we ask. It's called, we're calling the series Life Under the Sun because it's a book, that, that phrase, under the sun, is repeated at least in the ESV 26 times in this book, under the sun. You're going to see it over and over again, just once in the passage today, but it's going to be 26 times in the book. Now, now here's the final reason that I think a series in Ecclesiastes is important. Because this book might not be where many of you would turn to on a regular basis. This book might not be something that just resonates with you. But let me tell you this, that the majority of the people living around us, the majority of the people in Iowa Falls, Iowa, are not gathered with a group of people who are worshiping Jesus this morning. The majority of the people in Iowa Falls do not view life through a God-centered lens. Most of the people that we live around in Iowa Falls and the surrounding area look at life just as what we see and right in front of us. They see life under the sun, and they may have some great questions about life under the sun. I said under the sun, and then the lights came on. Did you notice that? That was kind of cool. Good effect, Lynn. Thank you. Um, but that's the way most people see life, right? That, that, that I, just, I just made a list. Here's how most people view life. We go to school. We work hard sometimes. We mess around sometimes. We find the job. Maybe we get married. Maybe we have some kids, buy a house, pay our bills, shovel the snow, mow the grass, do the laundry, go out to eat, make food, do the dishes, do it all over again, watch the game, check Facebook, buy some stuff, sell some stuff, get sick, get medicine, get better, get sick again, take care of our kids, take care of our parents, change diapers, go to weddings, go to funerals, put seeds in the ground, harvest grain, sell grain, go on vacation, save for retirement, cheer for our team, go to bed, wake up, take a nap, blah, 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 right? That's how people look at life. That's just what we do. That's what life is. And and the goal of life for many is just getting through it. How do I survive all that and kind of be a little bit happy sometimes, right? And many people, if you stop for a moment, but most people are too busy to even stop for a moment and ask. But if we were to stop for a moment, you might ask the question, well, what's the point of all of this? What's the point? Is this all there is? And what if it is? What if this is all that there is? That's the kind of questions that we're going to be going through as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes. The kind of questions that a lot of people, if they slowed down long enough, would be asking. So this would be a great opportunity, I think, during this series. Maybe we're going through the book of Romans, and you're like, wow, this is so heavy, and I'm not sure that I could invite some of my friends to come to the worship service because I just don't know if they're ready to, to hear the book of Romans expounded. You've got, que- you've got friends that are happy, that are successful. You've got friends that are doubting and bitter and frustrated and confused and hurt and discouraged, whatever, wherever they're at, this would be a great time to invite them to come and just explore life a little bit through a pretty unique lens. 
So we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a book that's going to resonate with all sorts of people. The format's a little bit different. The format, um, very different from, uh, from the book of Romans. Uh, I had a friend in high school at a hot tub, and one of the things that we like to do in the winter is we like to hang out in his hot tub and then go out and roll in the snow for a little bit. And then we get freezing cold, and then we jump back in the hot tub. That's kind of what we're doing. We're like, we're, we're doing Romans, and then we're, we're jumping out of Romans and going like to the almost opposite extreme in Scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're rolling around in that for a little bit, and then we're going to jump back in. And so we're kind of hitting both extremes as we go from Romans to Ecclesiastes and then back to Romans. So it's going to require some adjustment. It might feel a little bit shocking and maybe even uncomfortable at first. But the format of this book is, is as follows. It's really kind of like a sermon. It's like a sermon in written form. It's like you're reading a sermon. It's from somebody called the preacher. We'll get into that here in just a minute. Okay? Or, or teacher, maybe your translation would say. But it is, there's an introduction, which we're going to look at today. And there's a conclusion, which we're going to look at in July. And the middle is really kind of like an autobiographical sermon. It's like somebody sharing their testimony. Like somebody saying, hey, this is, this is how I see life, right? And so, so an interesting, there, there's not other books in the Bible like it. Now it is, like I mentioned, a book in the Old Testament. So it was written before Jesus came and lived on earth and died and rose again. So it's in the Old Testament, and it's of a type of literature in the Old Testament called wisdom literature. Other books in that same genre would be Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, the book of Job. And they're all pretty unique in the, in the way that they approach things. But here we are in the Old Testament wisdom book of Ecclesiastes. It's a very unique book. And there's going to be some things as we go through it that you might say, wait, does the Bible really say that? I can't believe the Bible. God would say that. God will let that be in his word. We need to understand this whole book in context. But it is going to be, for some, a very, very applicable book. You're going to say, yes. I've been asking that question, or I have all these people around me that are asking this question. I need to know how to answer it. And for others, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. I think that's okay. So, if you're able to, would you stand and we'll read the first 11 verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me pray first, and then we'll read. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we, we readily confess before we even read your word this morning that we don't know everything. There's a lot of stuff we don't get. And sometimes we look at this world that you've created and we are in awe and, and everything just feels right. And sometimes, if we're honest, we look at things and we just wonder why. What's the point? What's going on here? There are many in here probably today that are feeling that way. And we know there are many outside of this place who are feeling that way. Maybe part of the reason they're not in a church this morning is they just feel like, what's the point? So God, I thank you that you have inspired authors over many centuries uh, in different continents over many times to tell one story. And thank you that you have, you have uh, come at that story from, a many, from many different angles. And so Ecclesiastes, I trust, is going to point us to Jesus, but in a pretty unique way. I don't have the skill to, 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 to share this well enough that everybody's going to get it, but your spirit can uh, be at work in our minds and our hearts so that we get it, so that we understand, so that we believe, and so that we are pointed to the one 
to whom it points. So I pray that your spirit would be at work in this place this morning doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. This is God's word. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this is new? Well, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. You can be seated. See what I mean? I mean, you put any of that on a mug and nobody's going to buy it, right? Uh, that sounds quite discouraging. You might like, so how did that get in? How, how, how is that in God's Word? There is going to be uh, each week in your bulletin an outline that will have some spot a spot for you to take notes if that helps you follow along. On the back of that kind of trying a different format for how we're going to do that. We don't have life groups meeting right now, but we want you to spend some time reflecting more on God's Word. And so I've got on the back there some questions for you to ask yourself, some questions for you to discuss with other people, whether it be friends or spouses or coworkers. Ecclesiastes is a great way to start conversations. And then also some questions, if you're a parent, some questions for you to ask your kids. So that's what the application guide is going to look like, I think, during this series. Very, very practical book with all sorts of application for us. Like I mentioned, we're going to spend the majority of our time today looking at these first three verses and go more quickly through the last 4 through 11. Okay? So let's go ahead and take a look at verse 1. Verse 1 is just an introductory verse. Here's what it said. The words of the preacher, the son of David king in Jerusalem. Before I I get to explaining that a little more, the book Ecclesiastes, why is it named Ecclesiastes? That's a long word. Ecclesia is the Greek word for gathered people. And this is a book in which the person, the preacher, is, is sharing something with a gathered group of people. So it's just a book uh, sharing something with a gathered group of people. And so we need to know, it would be helpful to know, well, who's sharing this? Who's speaking? If this is a message or a sermon to a group of people, who's the group of people and who's the one speaking? And unfortunately, it's not extremely clear. It says here that these are the words of the preacher. Your translation might say teacher. The son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, at at different times in church history, people have said, well, then this must be Solomon. And there are many ways in which we could say, yes, this does sound like King Solomon. King Solomon was the direct descendant of King David. 
so it would fit that he is the son of David, king in Jerusalem, right? And many of the things that are written here sound like the kinds of things that Solomon would say. There's also some things in the book that don't really sound much like the kinds of things that Solomon would say. And one common literary practice in that day, not to be deceptive, but just a common literary practice would be to have somebody write from the perspective of someone more famous, writing in the name of Solomon, saying something like, well, if Solomon were here, this is the kind of thing that he would say. The book nowhere tells us that Solomon is the author of this book. The book of Proverbs tells us that, but the book of Ecclesiastes does not. A son of David could refer to anybody in the line of David, right? Anybody, any generation following David. So so we can't say with ultimate certainty this book was written by Solomon, but much of it seems like it could certainly come from either directly Solomon or at least from his perspective, okay? Um, the good thing about wisdom literature is is more so than in any other type of, of literature in Scripture, it's not as necessary that we have a great understanding of the human author and the, and the first audience. That's very necessary in a book like Colossians and most other books in the Bible. With this type of literature, there's generally wisdom that's being shared that is applicable for people in any generation. Right? Okay. So, there's a little bit of introduction. This is the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Uh, If this is Solomon, uh, Solomon lived in the 10th century uh, BC. This is a long time ago, and he was uh, in many ways the richest and wisest of all of the kings of God's people. Um, But here's one thing we know for sure. Okay, so we're going to refer, as we go through this, what we know for sure is that this is written by somebody called the preacher. So I'm going to say it's the preacher, right? So that's who's the author, the human author of this. But this is a part of the Word of God. And here's what we know for sure. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. For all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, correcting. Oh, sorry. I always get this wrong. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ecclesiastes is a book like all others in Scripture that uses a human author with their unique personality and their unique writing style, but each of these authors is inspired by and uses words that are breathed out by God. In Ecclesiastes 12.11, it'll it'll say that these words of wisdom come from one shepherd. So we know for sure Though we can't say for sure that this is written by Solomon or not, we can say for sure that this is a book inspired by God. That the author, human author of Ecclesiastes, was inspired by God to write these very words. And like I said, some of these words, you're going to say, what? You let him say that? Yep. And and the first verse, verse 2, after this introduction, it's going to shatter your expectations of stuff that you'd expect to read in Scripture. Okay, it starts out this way. Did you see verse 2? Look at verse 2. It says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, most of the time, I prefer the ESV translation um, because it's it's quite literal. Um, But sometimes it's helpful to look at other translations as well. The word that the ESV and King James and some other ones translate as vanity 
uh, is a word that can mean vanity. It also can mean like vapor, like something that just is there and then just disappears, almost like nothingness. Uh, another good way to translate it, and I think maybe even the best way when we look at the way English is used now, because vanity has a couple of different meanings, or maybe even three or four, is the word meaningless. So maybe if you have the NIV, it translates it meaningless. That's a good translation of the word, right? What he's saying is he's looking at everything. So here's the introduction of the book. What if a preacher gets up, and the first thing they say, which is what's happening here, he looks out at everything and says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Okay, well, that's a good introduction. Um, That's pretty inclusive. He's saying everything is meaningless, pointless, futile. All right. Here's one thing we notice about Ecclesiastes right off the bat then. Ecclesiastes is pretty blunt and direct, and some would say pessimistic. I mean, that's a pretty pessimistic uh, attitude, isn't it? Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It seems pretty pessimistic. You open your Bible after a tough week, hoping for some encouragement, and you just do that. I'm going to open it up and see what God has to say. You open up to Ecclesiastes, and you don't feel all that encouraged. Right? This sermon series is going to be a hard book for some of us, because I'm on the team, and some of you are on this team with me, where you see the glass is half full. Right? You're optimistic people. Kirsten sometimes calls me Mr. Positivity. I can look at whatever and I can just be like, oh yeah, but look at this. And I can see the bright side of everything. Right? And there's some of you out there, you're like me. And so it's going to be hard for us to get our minds around the perspective of the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. Right? It's going to be hard for us because the book seems pessimistic. It's a book that forces us, though, to look at everything in the world and say, okay, that's great that you can see the bright side of everything, but not everything is bright. And and is that okay to say, is it okay to look at the world? Is it okay to look at the world around? Is it okay to look at our life and say, you know what, sometimes I don't like it. Is that okay? The author of Ecclesiastes would say, yes, definitely. It's okay. And I think God would say yes. I mean, look at the whole storyline of Scripture. Genesis 1 and 2, what's God's evaluation? Good, 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 very good. Genesis 3, sin enters the world and stuff gets messed up. Sin ruins stuff. Stuff isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so we don't have to put on this bright, shiny face that says, I think everything's great. No. You know what? Some stuff is broken and messed up. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. And it's confusing and it makes me mad and frustrated. And it's okay. Some people aren't comfortable with that. Some of us are more the type of people that like to look at stuff. And even though I think of maybe you've lost a loved one. And you remember the first holiday that you experienced without that loved one there. And there's that empty spot, and they always used to do this or say this or serve this or whatever. And there's that empty spot. And some people, they just like the way that they deal with that is they just kind of say happy things and and try and like laugh and and forget about it. But then there's some of us that we just want to sit there and look at that empty spot and say, you know what? That's not right. It feels empty. I miss them. Wish they were still here. 
It's sad. Something's missing. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes does. It looks at the world that's been messed up by sin. And it doesn't try and put a nice little cheery spin on it. It looks at the world and says, man, this is hard. Stuff doesn't look the way I think it ought to look. I don't think this is what God wants. That's why I think the book of Ecclesiastes is going to be good. We're going to get an answer later on in Scripture. It's all going to be centered on Jesus. We don't hear a lot about that here in the book of Ecclesiastes, though. So thankful that Ecclesiastes is not the only book in the Bible. But I'm thankful that it is a book in the Bible. Verse 3 just says this, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? I mentioned that the series, we're calling it Life Under the Sun. That phrase is going to show up over and over again. But that phrase, under the sun, is really just a way of saying, just here, this life, this life that we see, not coming at things from this eternal perspective, but just looking at life, work and raising kids and, and all the stuff that goes with life. Just looking at that life under the sun. That's what we're going to be looking at in this book. And there's some, it's, like, it's like putting a visor up. You know the visor that you put to kind of block out anything that's above the sun because it's bright when you're driving, so you flip that visor? That's kind of what's happening in the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, I get it that there's stuff up there, but I'm going to just block that out for right now and just look at life under the sun. Right? So this is happening in this book. It's saying life under the sun, it looks like a lot of toil and struggle, and I'm not sure what the point of all of it is. That's what we see in verse 3. All right. Now, we're going to turn. Here's second point. Like I mentioned, we're going to go through these last two points much more quickly. That's a lot of introduction, but it's going to be helpful as we go through the rest of this book. The next couple points, ver- the second point, verses 4 through 7, endless circles. Okay? In verse 4 through 7, that's kind of what I was seeing here, is endless circles. Verse 4 says this, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So looking at life and saying, I get it, there's this cycle. People are born and people die, and then more people are born and more people die, and the earth is still here, and what's the point? Right? Baby boomers aren't babies anymore. And at some point, some of of you who are baby boomers are going to die. And baby boomers now have babies who have babies, and those people are going to grow up, and then they're going to die. And there was generations before us, and they died. Right? So he's just looking at it, he's like, oh, what's What's the point? Generation comes, generation goes, and the earth remains forever. Verses 5 to 7, he's going to start looking at nature. Okay? Verses 5 to 7, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. It's like, whoop. You know, I mean, they didn't, they didn't have uh, the, the cool solar system models that we had in elementary school, so they didn't quite understand everything the way you understand. But, but they, they see that every day the sun goes up and the sun comes down and then it happens again. So he's looking at that. Some of us, like the glass half full people, we look at it like, that's awesome. That's awesome. And he's looking at it like, what's the point of that? Right? And then, and then verses 5 and, or 6 and 7, <laughs> this is a good one for yesterday and today. The wind blows to the south, that's today, and goes around to the north, that's yesterday. Right? Around and around goes the wind, and I would maybe add in there, and the leaves always end up in my yard. 
no matter which way the wind's blowing, right? If I was being pessimistic like he is. And on its circuits, the wind returns. And he's like, oh, look at water. All streams run to the sea, but the sea isn't even full. They just keep going. They just the, the Mississippi keeps dumping into the Gulf of Mexico, and the Gulf of Mexico hasn't flooded yet. It's been doing that for a long time. What's the deal? Right? To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Like that water just keeps going, and what's the point? You remember those uh, diagrams of the water cycle? If he would have seen this in elementary school, remember that diagram? He's like, what's the point of that? Just, there we go. The water just keeps going around. Right? And again, some of us are wired to look at that and be in awe and just say, wow, that's incredible. Before anybody even knew how to draw one of those diagrams, God had this in mind that the way that that things are going to grow and life is going to be sustained on this planet has something to do with this incredible water cycle. And I would say, wow, that's just awesome. Now, I remember, um, you know, and maybe for you, you go outside and that's what you see. You see crops starting to, to come up out of the ground. And you almost get tears in your eyes. It's like, Dad, look at what happened. We just put that and then boom, look at that. You, you watch wildlife. You, you just, whatever it is, you watch stuff and you're just in awe. I remember being in my human anatomy and physiology class, being a new Christian in college. And I was just blown away. At the way God created the human body. Like, wow, this is awesome. Right? There's a day this week where, man, just looking at not just what God, but just life in general. It was Monday. It's just an awesome day. And you just get that feeling every once in a while. Like, life is just good. Filled with peace and joy. And it was just like, this is awesome. Right? But there are days when we're not feeling that way. Days when we're not feeling that way at all. And sometimes, like the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, he's looking at all the same stuff that we're looking at, and he's just like, what's the point? I look at this world, and you're in awe of all the things that God's created. I look around this world, and I see disease. I see kids that are starving. I see death and natural disasters. You think that's great? What's the point of that? There's a couple ways to look at the world, right? And now he's not done. There's four more verses in this prologue, and here he introduces the themes that we're going to see. The reason we're going through this kind of faster at the end is we're going to see these themes pop up over and over again. He's just introducing it here. I didn't know how to how to label verses 8 through 11. I read it, and it just kind of felt like he's looking at things and being like, meh. So that's what I called it. Meh. Right? He's just looking at life. Verse 8, he says this, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. He's like, life makes me tired. You ever feel that way sometimes? I don't even know what the problem, life just makes me tired. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I don't even know how to say it. It's just, I'm worn out. And we're never satisfied. He says the eye is never satisfied with seeing. The ear is never satisfied. There's always more news to hear. Right? There's always something else to see. People don't even watch just like one episode of a TV show a week now. Now people like buy a season and binge watch the thing. 
It's like, I just want to see more. We just got this craving for more all the time. He's got a lot more in this book on being satisfied or never being satisfied. Verses 9 and 10. (laughs) What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it said, see, this is new? Well, it has been already in the ages before us. It's like, you think something new is going to happen? Nope, already happened. You seen the movie Groundhog Day? It's like that. I mean, he didn't see the movie, right? Bill Murray wakes up every day is February 2nd, right? It just happens. doesn't matter what he does. He wakes up next day is February 2nd again, right? Thing, there's nothing new. Who's the richest person in 1744, 1944? It doesn't matter. That's what it says in verse 11. It doesn't say that in verse 11, but that's the idea. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Probably the richest person in the world in 1744 thought they were a pretty big deal, but nobody now knows who they were. Not even 1944. We don't know who it was. I don't know. You got a job, you work really hard at it, you're doing a really good job, you get a promotion, whatever, you made some money. Hey, in a few years, nobody's going to remember anyway. <laughs> That's what he's saying, right? He's just looking at it like, so we do all this, and what's the point? No remembrance of former things, and there's not going to be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Man, and some of you are like, man, I came in here feeling pretty good, and then you start preaching from the Bible. Maybe life is bad, right? But some of you, the reason, why are we preaching this? Again, remember, because it's in God's Word, and some of you came in here feeling like this. And every time you come in, you feel like, man, the church is always just filled with these happy people that have all these answers, and they just get it, and everything makes sense to them. I don't feel that way. I don't feel welcome here. Well, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Let's struggle through this stuff together. And some of us who are quick to see the glasses half full and always give easy, trite, nice little answers to people, sometimes we just need to recognize that's not the way everybody sees things. Let's sit with them in their pain and their hurt and their confusion for a little bit. Are we going to have a chance to point them to Jesus? Yes, we will. But sometimes we've got to slow down and feel the pain of this world that's broken by sin. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's okay to admit it. It's okay to sometimes look at your job and say, why am I doing this? This book can seem pessimistic. People that are pessimistic, they always say, I'm not pessimistic, I'm realistic, right? That's what they say. Maybe that's true about this book. Maybe it's not so much pessimistic, maybe it's just realistic. If all there is is life here under the sun, maybe it does seem kind of hopeless. What do you notice has been absent in these first 11 verses of this book? You notice that God hasn't been mentioned yet? We're reading God's Word. It's gone through 11 verses. God hasn't been mentioned at all. Right? That's going to be a theme that we're going to see throughout this book. Hopefully the introduction has sparked your interest enough to want to be back here digging in more. It's not always going to be comfortable, but at least it's going to always be honest, right? It's a good opportunity for you to invite some other people that have some doubts and some questions. Now, one temptation would be to read a book like this and come to the conclusion that what we're supposed to do with this is we're supposed to look at the world and just give up hope for the world and say, well, I guess this world is all going to pot, 
and my only hope is just getting out of here and going to heaven. That's what it's all about. That would be a temptation, and that's the route that some people have taken. But I don't think that's the route that God desires for us to take. I don't think that's the longing of the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. Instead, I think this is not like we look at this book and the application isn't, God, please get me out of here. But rather, we should look at this book and look at the world around us and say, God, would you please come and do something here? Not God, please get me out of here, but God, please come and do something here. This is what, it's, this is what it feels like when God's not there. This is, what it feels, this is life for most of the people in our town. When God's not in view, they're not viewing the world through a God-centered lens. This is what it feels like. We need to feel that with them and hurt with them and feel for them and, and desire that they would know the God who created all things. We want a God who comes to do something, not a God who just picks us up out of this and, and lets it all go to pot. We want a God who comes to do things here in this world. We have promised that He will. And I'm grateful for that. The world that God has made has gone bad in many ways. But He promises to come and do something. As I get close to closing, I want to read from the book of Revelation because I think this is helpful to have this in mind. That we don't have a God who's just saying, hey, your only hope is getting out of this world because it's all going to pot. No, we have a God who says, I'm going to come and do something new in this world. So if you want, you can turn your Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. I'm going to read a few verses out of there. They'll be on the screen, too. It's the last book in the Bible. Here's what God's going to come and do. John has a vision of it, and he writes it down. He says, Then I saw a, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Listen, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Our ultimate hope is not us escaping to go to be with him, but of him coming to make his dwelling place with us. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's what we long for. If, if anything gets stirred up in us in the book of Ecclesiastes, may God stir up in us this desire for Jesus to come and to make all things new. That we would be honest about the world that we live in. That it's not as it should be. And sometimes maybe even sound a bit pessimistic. But in the end, we're not without hope. Because we worship a God who, fulfill, who fulfills all of His promises. That He promises that Jesus is going to come and make all things new. That His dwelling place will be with us. That death will be no more. No more mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things will pass away. And behold, He will come and make all things new. That's what we long for. But there is this reality that comes in between. The God who promises that is the God who also promised that He would send a Savior. That's what we come to remember when we take communion. That God's plan 
for this broken, hurting, sin-sick world was that He would send His Son to take on human flesh. To come and to enter into this world. To feel the pain of this world. To, to experience life under the sun. To know what it feels like to go through death and pain and suffering and trials. To have a job and work at it. Jesus worked as a carpenter for most of His earthly life. The ministry we read about in the Gospels only took about three years. He was working as a car. He just had a normal job. Jesus got to experience life under the sun. And the difference between the way He lived it and the way that we live it is that He lived it as it was meant to be lived in joyful submission and perfect obedience to His Creator. But no, he's not, not His Creator, but to our Creator. Right? That's the way that He lived this life. He's the only one that lived life as God intended it to be lived. But then He was the one who willingly went to the cross to take the penalty that we deserved. And the only reason, the only way that we have hope in this world that can sometimes seem hopeless is because Jesus died to take the penalty of our sin and that He rose from the dead to show that He has power over sin and death. So that's what we need to remember. We, we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, but we need to remember that's not the only book in the Bible. So we're going to feel it deeply, but then we're going to also see it point us to the cross. And, and so it's, it's fitting that we have communion together on this first Sunday in which we go through the opening of the book of Ecclesiastes because that's a great reminder that it's not all hopeless. And so... I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to have the elders come up after I pray, and we'll have communion together. So let's pray. Father, help us not to go through life with blinders on. Help us not to be blind to the pain and suffering and confusion of people all around us. Help us also not to be blind to the reality that life under the sun is not all that there is, but that there is also life in the sun, in the one that you sent to show us how to live life, even though knowing that we all fail to live life as he lived life, that he was willing to die take on the punishment for our sins that we deserve. And so, God, I pray that as we come together now to take communion, pray that we would be softened in our hearts, that we would not be callous toward the sin around us and not callous toward the sin in us, but that our hearts would be soft, that we would be honest just as the author of Ecclesiastes is honest about the world that he's seeing, that we would be honest about the sin in our own hearts. That you would come even as we hold the bread and hold the cup and search our hearts, see if there be any wicked way in us. Point that out, not so that we would walk away feeling hopeless, but so that we would take the bread and take the cup and remember that Jesus body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us and that nothing can wash away our sin 
but the blood of Jesus. Thank you for sending your son and giving us hope. In Jesus' name, amen.